Hello, Prestige Heads, and welcome to American Prestige. I'm Danny Bessner, here as always with my friend and comrade, Derek Davison, and we're very excited to welcome back to the podcast today, Lyle Rubin. Uh, you definitely know him, but Lyle is the author of Pain is Weakness, Leaving the Body, and he is also a veteran of the Afghanistan War, and he is also, which is why we invited him on the podcast today, the author of a recent piece that was released in The Nation and will be in the forthcoming print issue, titled Taking Aaron Bushnell at His Word and Deed. Lyle, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Um, so I think probably our listeners are well aware of what Aaron Bushnell did. But Lyle, maybe you could just briefly recount what actually happened. And then this is what your piece is about. Where was Bushnell coming from in your view? So um, Bushnell uh, was an airman. He was a uh, an enlisted member of the uh, U.S. Air Force. Um, he showed up at the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. a few days ago and um, had a few very poignant, uh, I think, very well-considered words um, that he spoke to his own uh, iPhone, his own, his own cell phone, uh, placed the phone on the ground uh, and poured uh, gasoline uh, over him, yelled free Palestine, and then um, burned to death um, while uh, the, the cop in the area pointed his gun at him and uh, another, another, another uh, cop or emergency personnel said, we need uh, fire extinguishers. Um, so I, I think anyone who's listening to this is, is also already aware of all this, but I think those are probably the most relevant facts. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I was asked to write a short reflection on this. Um, I wrote it very quickly. Um, I wrote it very passionately. Um, I think like a lot of other people, it, it moved me. Um, and uh, I felt like I had something to say. And I said it, and it was in many ways uh, just a kind of um, reiteration of what um, Bushnell had already said. Um, you know, one, um, naming uh, the U.S. complicity in what's been happening in Palestine, uh, not just since October 7th, but for generations, for decades. Um Secondly, um, pointing out, um, A, the extremism of his own act, but how that extremism pales in comparison to, to the extremism of what he's protesting, uh, which is not just a genocide. Um, it's, it's an apartheid uh, government. Uh, it's a set of, set of colonial history. That brings me to my next, next point. Uh, he names the genocide, but he also names the colonizers as colonizers, which I think is important. Um, this wasn't merely an anti-war message. This was very much uh, an anti-imperialist message that he was putting out. And I will say that the reaction from the public as a whole, uh, despite just the absolutely horroring circumstances, not just of Bushnell's death, but of the genocide and the you know, apartheid killing spree that he was protesting 
uh, despite all that, it is encouraging for the first time in my life. Um, we have a figure that openly, explicitly uh, rebelled against, you know, a colonial violence. He named it as colonial violence. And you have millions of people that are reacting to this uh, and, and, and debating it and discussing it. Um, I think it's not the first time that we've seen anti-war um, veterans and active duty personnel um, in the news. Um, but this is perhaps not the first time either, but certainly in my, in my memory, the most prominent example of an explicitly anti-imperialist protest, a very powerful, moving, if heartbreaking protest, um, just openly against empire and openly against colonial power relations and not, not merely war. I think, I think that in, in my mind, I, I don't want to sound Pollyannish or optimistic or hopeful because I'm certainly not, but I would, I will, I, I do sense some kind of breakthrough here, uh, at least at the level of the discourse. Lyle, I wonder, I, I want to get into, uh, I think we want to get into the response, which has been, um, you know, a mix of kind of uh, heartening on some level, but also kind of disgusting from certain quarters. So I, I do want to get into that. But one of the things I've seen thrown out uh, by people who want to diminish or minimize or obscure the political aspect of this has been that Bushnell was protesting against something or, you know, opposed to something that he really didn't have anything to do with. And you talk in your piece about the role that the U.S. military is playing in Gaza, uh, the U.S. Air Force in particular. Can you can you talk a little bit about that for uh, for listeners to just explain why this may have hit Bushnell so hard? Because he was involved in, in this on some direct way. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to present myself as an expert on on this question. I was basically just reading the same reports that everyone else was reading, and, and some of those reports do, um, you know, get into specifics about um, basically the U.S. Air Force personnel that have been sent to Israel to assist in uh, intelligence and targeting. Uh, an overwhelming portion of the deaths and injuries and casualties have come from the air campaign. Um, so I, I think clearly Bushnell, in one way or another, was struck by that, that he was in the Air Force and he was watching uh, the most brutal, inhumane air campaign of our gener- of, of our time unfold. Um, the U.S. Air Force, like the U.S. military as a whole, has played a, a major role, a central role in building uh, the Israeli military, uh, specifically at Air Force, um, the weapon systems that the Israeli Air Force continues to use um, are, to a large degree, coming from U.S. coffers. Um, the same suppliers that are supplying the U.S. Air Force. Um, I haven't tracked down the details, but. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if a lot of the weaponry is actually technically coming from the U.S. Air Force. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's enough to kind of uh, speak to him at a more personal level. 
Why don't we now talk about the meta reaction or like have a meta conversation about the reaction to Bushnell's act. Uh, so Lyle, let's start with how do you see the left having reacted? And then we might get on to other reactions to Bushnell's um, taking of his life. Um, you know, I mean, it, the left is such a vague term at this point. I mean, certainly the the left that I follow, that I take seriously, that shows up on my feed, I think was mostly, um, you know, there was, um, I guess the two words I use in my piece is sadness and rage. Um, and I think that was more or less the mood among my little corner of the, the left. Um, and I would, I would add respect. I mean, I think I, speaking for myself, I have tremendous respect for Bush now. Um, I'm not at all, um, reluctant to say that. Um, I think he did what he did more or less for the reasons that he said he did it for. Um, and you don't see that a lot. And, um, you know, I said earlier, I, I, it was, it, 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 the act moved me. It also horrified me. Um, but at the end of the day, I, 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 I respect, I respect the man. And I think most of the people in my corner, the left, we, we have tremendous respect for what he did and how he did it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I imagine we'll, we'll go more into depth about this, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's talk broader than more broadly than the left about the way that this incident was, was handled in a lot of media outlets, maybe we could start with media outlets and then we'll move to the, the kind of liberal, uh, elite reaction. But as you were reading, uh, the stories as they initially came out, uh, about Bushnell's self-immolation, uh, the, were you struck at all by the tenor of those stories? I, I know I was struck by the links to which, uh, the hoops that, that writers seem to jump through to avoid directly saying, you know, he was protesting the war, the, the conflict in Gaza, uh, or that he was shouting free Palestine as, as he was uh, consumed by flames and, and to sort of uh, say, well, we really don't know why he did this yet. It's unclear. We can't verify it. It, it just all seemed to be a very silly exercise in trying to, to excise the political dimension of this. And I, I'm curious what uh, if that struck you as well, or, or what you took away from the the media uh, re- reaction? Yeah, I think you know at this point it it should be abundantly clear that the way the media as a whole, mainstream media, corporate media, whatever you want to call it, covers Israel and Palestine, and I would argue covers really anything having to do what, with U.S. power in the world, um, is first there, you know their first instinct every time is to present the information um, in a way that is as gently, as gentle toward and, and, and sympathetic toward obviously the Israeli or U.S. perspective as a whole at, a, at any given moment. And clearly, you know, this is no different. Um, they... You know, I, I know there was the New York Times, I guess the first piece they put out didn't even mention, you know, what he had actually said before he, you know, before he lit himself on fire. 
I believe NPR had a, a, a piece come out where it made it sound like he, it was just a random man doing this random suicide that happened to be near the embassy. Uh, and I believe they corrected that uh, after being called out. Um, you know, but I, I mean, we've been seeing these, this level of absurdity in, in the media uh, day in and day out for over four months. Um, so I don't think the way they covered this particular event was any more absurd than the way they've been covering everything else. But it is absurd. Um, and, you know, like everything else, it's worth calling out. As the story unfolded, it, it got picked up. There were a number of, you know, pundits and, and you know, liberal columnists and especially the uh, sort of uh, bloodless explainer journalism types who uh, focused very heavily on the mental health aspect of this story. And I, I feel like, you know, if I go too far down this road, I'm going to start shouting into the microphone, so I don't want to do that. Um, but in any other instance, uh, when a person does something like this, they, they pour gasoline on themselves, light themselves on fire, and express opposition to something that's taking place. If this happens in Russia, in opposition to Vladimir Putin's government, if it happens in Tunisia and sparks the Arab Spring, any place else this happens, nobody in that world seems to have a problem saying that this was a political act and it was, you know, because of these things, X, Y, Z, and this is, you, this has got to be part of the discussion. But in this case, we had to just focus on mental health and we weren't allowed to talk about the political act. We weren't allowed to talk about that. And I, you know, I have no basis to evaluate Aaron Bushnell's mental or emotional state. Neither do any of these other people, which is why it was so frustrating to watch this unfold. But uh, what did you kind of observe in the discourse around this incident and, and the way that it was we try to really, really hard to shunt this into a very particular box where we don't have to talk about the stuff we don't want to talk about. Can I just add, I, I just find what I found so absurd about this is, is sort of the false concern with a, there being a contagion of self-immolation. I mean, like it, it, that is, that is absurd. Uh, I think it was basically building off the idea of suicidal con con um, contagions, which may have some, uh, presence in the social psychological literature, but of course, social psychology itself has been undergoing many replication crises. And it, it was just like such an absurd thing to immediately jump to about suicidal self-immolation contagion that I was just um, very surprised that that's where it went. But Lyle, I'm curious, like just to piggyback off Derek, what you think? Yeah. So um, my, my wife, uh, Colette Shade, has written a lot about um, the way that our society talks about mental health and, you know, it, it, the way that they talked about out and, and also the way that they kind of, to, to use a, a trite term that we hear all the time now, but kind of like the, men, the the weaponization of the mental health discourse. I mean, we see this all the time across the board on every issue. Um, you know, every corporation will, will brag about the amount of resources they're putting to mental health, but, they won't be too interested in creating the social conditions in which their workers uh, won't be as mentally ill as they are. 
Um, and you know, it's the same thing at the, at the international register, um, to the extent that Aaron Bushnell was mentally ill, uh, I wouldn't, I, I, I don't presume, you know, to, to know whether he was or not. Um, he certainly seemed pretty rational based on, on everything he, all his, the reasons he said he gave for what he did, but uh, to the extent that he was mentally unwell or anyone is month- mentally unwell, these are symptoms, of course, of deeper um, causes. And if you're really concerned about people uh, self-immolating in protest of a genocide, of course, your primary concern should be ending that genocide. Um, so it's, I don't think it's an accident or a coincidence that virtually everyone who um, was very excited to scold anyone who dared to talk about this act in any kind of political, critical way, um, as opposed to just speak, talking about it as, as an example of a mental health crisis. You know, these are not people that have spent a lot of time uh, opposing the genocide or demanding its immediate closure. Lyle, we always talk about this when you're on the podcast, but that that type of person was basically a supporter of the Ukraine war. Doesn't say anything about Palestine, really, uh, and then, or maybe you know, takes a nuanced view <laughs> to to Yufa, to Yufa uh, mystically talk about that, and then you know, condemned um, uh, people who weren't talking about Bushnell's self-immolation, who weren't talking about it from the mental health perspective, and and. It's it's often. Do you see a linkage there? Because I know you're one of the few on the left who supported the intervention in Ukraine. But I just just seems like there that has been like a general center left move that we've seen over the last three years. Are you talking about um, the same people that were very pro the United States inter- yes. intervening in Ukraine? Oftentimes, right. take a more like the euphemistic nuanced perspective on the Israeli actions in Gaza and then almost all then talked about Bushnell and this mental health register. There seems to be a, I've just noticed a lot of the same people have those three positions. So whereas you are obviously very critical of Israel and the United States and have adopted this different perspective on Bushnell, you're, you're different um, uh, in that you are also supporting Ukraine I, I, that wasn't perfectly phrased, but I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, I don't want this to become like a debate about, you know, Ukraine. Um, no, no, the connections I, I between those positions, sure. you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Let's yeah, not talk yeah, about yeah. Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I mean, I, I see your point and I agree that, I mean, you had, you know, you've had people, uh, Russians, Ukrainians. Well, you had the famously the journalist Irina Slavina who South Emily in protest of the war. Uh, there was no discourse about how awful self-immolation is and how it's an example of the mental health crisis. No, of course, everyone in media, even those on the left or even those that were critical of the U.S. Um, arming Ukraine, uh, we all knew why she did what she did, and we knew that she did it for political reasons. Uh, I mean, she might have been mentally unwell. I mean, who isn't in this world? But um, that wasn't why she did what she did in the first instance and the last instance. Um, so that's just one of many examples. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of clips or, or, um, tweets that have been coming out exposing all these mainstream figures who were praising self-immolations in the past. 
Right. Of and course. Jake Hang pointed out Obama comparing Mohammed Bouazizi, who self-immolated in Tunisia, to, I think, Rosa Parks and the Founding Fathers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. On, on a Time to Say Goodbye podcast. And, so and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And, and Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, praised in similar terms, you know, a, a Tibetan child who had um, self-immolated. Um, so, yeah, this, this is all pretense. Uh, I mean, they might be telling themselves sweet little lies in their head. I, I don't know. But I mean, it, I mean, we all know this, that this is a pretense. This is a game that they're playing either with themselves or with the rest of us to avoid having to talk about what really needs to be talked about and, and having to do what really needs to be done. Um, and, you know, I, I might be generalizing a little bit here. I, I mean, I do have some journalists in, in my, in, in my mind that, um, you know, have been critical of, uh, Israel in, in, you know, in Gaza and, and, and critical of the Israeli government in general, who have also played this game about, you know, uh, a contagion, uh, of self-immolation and, and being concerned about that. But even there, these journalists that I have in mind, um, they, you know, they've gone out of their way, uh, uh, in recent months to basically, um, in one way or another, kind of uh, belittle or marginalize those on those of us on the left who think that what is happening in Palestine is the central question of our time um, and that it's central to the upcoming presidential election. Um, so I think even there with, the, with these... These, these journalists who have been critical of Israel but are also now very worried about um, a contagion of self-immolation, you know, they, I think they have their own reasons uh, why they are uh, refusing to really uh, confront what, what Bushnell did and what Bushnell said and why so many of us are reacting the way we are. I think, Lyle, this probably brings us to our final topic, which is what dissent is allowed in this hegemonic discourse in American society? What resistance is allowed? Um, is there any, and how do you see the Bushnell um, act relating to that larger story? Yeah. So, I mean, it, there's just somewhat special pleading going on. Um, you know, self-immolation is fine if it's done for the reasons that, um, that centrists were, mainstream Democrats, uh, support, um, you know, protest in general is fine. Any kind of protest is fine as long as it's in line with whatever the democratic party agenda and at any given moment might be. Um, what we've seen since October 7th is that virtually nothing, uh, either Palestinians do, um, or those standing in solidarity with them around the world do is allowed. Or, or, or worthy, or worthy of respect. Um, and when we saw this from day one, I mean, the, the, we weren't even allowed to protest um, as the Israelis were, were getting ready, ready for their genocidal campaign. It was very clear from day one uh, that it was, in fact, going to be, we could use whatever word you want, uh, uh, you know, a wa wanton violence or 
uh, that, that a number of war crimes were going to be committed, ho- however you want to phrase it. I mean, it was very clear from day one that this is go- this is what was going to happen. And most of those aligned with the Democratic Party basically said very openly that, you know, going to rallies was inappropriate after October 7th. So we saw this from the very beginning. And that was going to rallies. That was not self-immolating at the Israeli embassy. Going to rallies was not allowed. Um, We're seeing right now um, the uncommitted vote in Michigan, uh, the reaction from so many, including some otherwise progressive journalists, is more or less a how dare you do this right now. You know, you're, you're risking putting Trump back in power sort of thing. Um, I mean, there's nothing more, um, I just, that, yeah, that one, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt Lyle, but that one is, is so egregious. It it really does speak to the idea that there's just nothing, nothing left that anybody can do. No way to articulate dissent. This is a primary vote in a primary campaign. Biden's the only candidate really on the ballot. We can talk about the other two if you want, but Biden's the only candidate on the ballot. These people aren't even voting for an alternative candidate. They're voting uncommitted. And somehow this, like in the the logical construct these people have built for themselves, this is helping Donald Trump get elected, voting uncommitted in a Michigan primary that has nothing to do with Donald Trump is going to help him get elected. I mean, it's just so absurd. And it really does speak to me uh, to uh, 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 a situation where, like, you just you just should shut up. Everybody, shut the fuck up. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. We don't want to hear it anymore. Just let the machine roll along. Yeah, I mean, just to give one more example of this, um, the, the largest union I believe in Washington State just uh, basically passed a resolution or voted to say that they're also uncommitted. On the, in the Democratic primary, and they made it clear it's because of what's happening in, in Palestine. Um, and before I actually came on here, I saw a tweet from a, a journalist I more or less respect, um, progressive journalist on climate policy, uh, you know, more or less mocking them, saying something like, oh, so they think uh, Trump's going to be better on labor policy uh, than, than Biden will be? Just totally evading uh you know the point why they why they're doing what they're doing never mind evading like the the way that they're doing it they are not trying to if they really wanted trump to win uh, they would have endorsed trump or they would have actively um told all their members not to vote for biden or something like that no this is a primary and what they're trying to do what we're all trying to do is uh effectively force biden out before he does become um, the candidate in, in the presidential race. And we've been told time and again that that's not allowed, that that, that is um, beyond the pale. Because, of course, anything having to do with standing in solidarity with Palestinians is beyond the pale. Well, on that note, Lyle Rubin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.